0: Greetings, friends and brethren. Welcome to Voice in the Wilderness. I'm Don Noble of Pure Heart Ministries, and I welcome you today with exceedingly great joy. This is Holy Week, so we're going to take a break from learning about 1 Corinthians, the book of 1 Corinthians. And I just want to share a message, I think a teaching that um, I believe will just enlighten you. I'm not going to be focusing on the crucifixion although that is obviously very the the most important highlight uh, uh, of Holy Week, uh, other than the resurrection, which is just actually more important than um, the crucifixion, because we know that Jesus is alive and that he died for our sins. So let me just open with prayer. Father, I thank you for your holy word, and I thank you that you even before the foundation of the world had destined and designed that Jesus would be sent to earth to be the Lamb of God, that precious Lamb slain before the foundation. Father, we thank you that we have this precious opportunity to worship the Lord and celebrate the goodness of God and celebrate the death and the resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ So, Father, I thank you for the revelation that you have given me regarding the priest, the lamb, and the king, and I pray that this listening audience will receive this teaching in their heart. Lord, I just bless each one that is listening to this message today. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. So, the title of this message is The Priest, the Lamb, and the King. I want to start I want to start with the Gospel of John, chapter 1. Now, we know that John the Revelator is writing the book of John, not John the Baptist. But as John, who is writing this Gospel, is he's talking about John the Baptist. And if we look at verse 29... Chapter 1, verse 29. And I'm reading completely today out of the amplified version of the Bible. So, you know, get your pen and paper Paper, if you have the amplified version. Open up your Bible. If not, whatever version you have, work. So we're the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 29. The next day, John, this is John the Baptist. John saw Jesus coming to him and said, Look, there is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. If we turn to the book of Revelation, Revelation 21, and we look at verses 21, 22, 23. John in this chapter is talking about the the new city, the new Jerusalem, and he's describing what it looks like. Verse 21 he says, "And the 12 gates were 12 pearls, each separate gate being built of one solid pearl." And the main street, the broadway of the city was of gold as pure and translucent as glass. Verse 22 I saw no temple in the city, for the Lord God omnipotent Himself and the Lamb Himself are its temple. And the city has no need of the sun nor of the moon to give light to it, for the splendor and radiance glory of God illuminate it, and the Lamb is its lamp. We can see that historically, Jesus comes on the scene and John recognizes him, right? John is the voice in the wilderness. He recognizes Jesus and he says, look, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John had revelation, obviously, and he knew that Jesus had been slain before the foundation he called him the lamb of god he's also prophesying the future of jesus death calling him the lamb and we know that jesus became our passover lamb now let's look at let's look at genesis chapter 14 And we're looking at verse, starting with verse 17. And it says, After Abram's return from the defeat and slaying of Chetalormor and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Shavah, that is the king's valley. Melchizedek, king of Salem, later called Jerusalem, brought out bread and wine for their nourishment. He was the priest of of the God Most High. And he blessed Abraham and said, Blessed, favored with blessings, made blissful, joyful, be Abram, thy God Most High, possessor and maker of heaven and earth. And blessed, praised and glorified, be God Most High, who has given your foes into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of all he had. And the king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the persons and keep the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted up my hand and sworn to the Lord God Most High, the possessor and maker of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a shoelace or anything that is yours, lest you say, I have made Abram rich. This is the only reference to this Melchizedek, king of Salem. And it's interesting because we're going to now turn to Hebrews chapter 7, and you're going to find something very interesting about this Melchizedek, king of Salem. And starting with chapter 7, verse 1, this is what the writer of Hebrews says. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, and priest of the Most High God. So let me stop there for just a second. Melchizedek is a king and a priest. It says, and the priest of the Most High God met Abraham as he returned from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And Abraham gave to him a tenth portion of all the spoil. He is primarily, as his name when translated indicates, king of righteousness. And then he is also king of Salem, which means king of peace. Now, think about this for just a moment. This Melchizedek, who meets up with Abram back in Genesis, his name means King of Righteousness and King of Peace. Okay, verse 3. Without record of father or mother or ancestral line, neither with beginning of days nor ending of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues to be a priest without interruption and without successor. Now observe and consider how great a personage This was to whom even Abraham, the patriarch, gave a tenth, the topmost or the pick of the heap of the spoils. And it is true that those descendants of Levi who are charged with the priestly office are commanded in the law to take tithes from the people, which means from their brethren, though these have descended from Abraham. But this person who has not their Levitical ancestry received tithes from Abraham himself and blessed him who possessed the promises of God. Yet it is beyond all contradiction that it is the lesser person who is blessed by the greater one. Furthermore, here in the Levitical priesthood, tithes are received by men who are subject to death, while there, in the case of Melchizedek, they are received by one of whom it is testified that he lives Perpetually. A person might even say that Levi, the father of the priestly tribe himself, who received tithes, the tenth, and paid tithes through Abraham, for he was still in the loins of his forefather Abraham when Melchizedek met Abraham. Now, if perfection, a perfect fellowship between God and the worshiper, had been attainable by the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people were given the law, why was it further necessary? that there should arise another and different kind of priest, one after the order of Melchizedek, rather than one appointed after the order and rank of Aaron. For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is of necessity an alteration of the law concerning the priesthood as well. For the one of whom these things are said, belonged not to the priestly line, but to another tribe, no member of which has officiated at the altar for it is obvious obvious that our lord sprang from the tribe of judah and moses mentioned nothing about priest's in connection with that tribe and this becomes more plainly evident when another priest arises who bears the likeness of melchizedek who has been constituted a priest not on the basis of a bodily legal requirement which is an externally imposed command concerning his physical ancestry but on the endless base but on the basis of the power of an endless and indestructible life for it is witnessed of him meaning Christ you are a priest forever after the order with the rank of melchizedek So a previous physical regulation and command is canceled because of its weakness and ineffectiveness and uselessness, for the law never made anything perfect. But instead, a better hope is introduced through which we now come close to God. And it was not without the taking of an oath that Christ was made priest. For those who formerly became priests received their office without its being confirmed by taking an oath, by God, but this one, this this one referring to Christ, was designated and addressed and saluted with an oath. The Lord has sworn and will not regret it or change his mind. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. In keeping with the oath's greater strength and force, Jesus has become the guarantee of a better, stronger agreement, a more excellent and more advanced advantageous covenant. Again, the former successive line of priests was made up of many because they were each prevented by death from continuing perpetually in office. But he, Christ, holds his priesthood unchangeably because he lives on forever. Therefore, he, Christ, is able also to save to the uttermost, completely Perfectly, finally, and for all time and eternity, those who come to God through him, since he is always living, to make petition to God and intercede with him and intervene for them. Here is the high priest, perfectly adapted to our needs, as was fitting, holy, blameless, unstained by sin, separated from sinners, and exalted higher than the heavens, He has no day by day necessity, as do each of these other high priests, to offer sacrifice first of all for his own personal sins and then for those of the people, because he, Christ, met all the requirements once for all when he brought himself as a sacrifice which he offered up. For the law sets up men in their weakness, frail, sinful, dying human beings as high priests, But the word of God's oath, which was spoken later after the institution of the law, chooses and appoints as priest one whose appointment is complete and permanent, a son who has been made perfect forever. So this chapter 7 is a mouthful. I'm not going to try to unpack the whole thing other than to say this. They're obviously showing a comparison between the Levitical line under Mosaic law, which you had to be of the tribe of Levi to be a priest, let alone a high priest. You had to be of the tribe of Levi to be in the priesthood. But Jesus, who is our high priest forever, we saw in verse 17, after the order of Melchizedek, Jesus comes from the tribe of Judah. He does not come from the priestly line. Yet, he is the high priest forever and ever. And uh, he's been made perfect forever. And so, chapter 7 is basically telling us that under under the Levitical priesthood, you know they had to be chosen. Um, they had to meet all the requirements. Um, you know they had to do certain things. Of course, they had to be of the tribe of Levi. But you know they had to meet certain requirements, et cetera, et cetera. But Jesus didn't have to meet all those requirements because he, his, he holds the priesthood unchangeably. He lives forever. And the law could never make anything perfect. But you see, when Christ came, he was a better hope. And um, so, you know, and under the law, you know, men, men, human beings are weak. They're frail. They're sinful. Uh, um, and, you know, so they get chosen to be priests and then high priests, but after the law comes the new covenant in Jesus' blood, which He sheds on the cross, and that changes the whole. That changes the whole ball game, folks. Just changes the whole ball game. So He is a son who has been made perfect forever, and uh, it's interesting because we're going to go back to the Gospel of John. And we're going to look at Caiaphas, who is in the Levitical line, in the Levitical priesthood. And he is the high priest. Now, let's go to to John, the Gospel of John. And we're going to go to chapter... 19 I believe here now we're gonna we're gonna start in chapter 18 of the Gospel of John all right let's let's start in verse 28 then they brought Jesus from Caiaphas now Caiaphas is the high priest then they brought Jesus from Caiaphas into the praetorium, the judgment hall, the governor's palace, and it was early. They themselves did not enter the praetorium, that they might not be defiled, in other words, become ceremonially unclean, but might be fit to eat the Passover supper. So Pilate went out to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They retorted, If he were not an evildoer, a criminal, we would not have handed him over to you. Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and judge and sentence and punish him according to your own law. The Jews answered, it's not lawful for us to put anyone to death. See, they had in their mind, Jesus. It was demanded that he die. Verse 32, this was to fulfill the word which Jesus had spoken to show by what manner of death he was to die. So Pilate went back again into the judgment hall and called Jesus and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus replied, Are you saying this of yourself on your own initiative or have others told you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own people and nation and their chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answers, my kingdom belongs not to this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my followers would have been fighting to keep me from being handled over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. It has no such origin or source. Pilate said to him, Then you are a king? Jesus answered, You say it. You speak correctly, for I am a king. Certainly I'm a king. This is why I was born, and for this I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth, who is a friend of the truth, who belongs to, to the truth, hears and listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? On saying this, Pilate went to the Jews again and told them, I find no fault in him, but it is your custom that I release one prisoner for you at the Passover. So shall I release for you the king of the Jews? Then they all shouted back again, Not him, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Chapter 19, So then Pilate took Jesus and scourged, flogged, whipped him. And the soldiers, having twisted together a crown of thorns, put it on his head, and they threw a purple cloak around him. And they kept coming to him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they struck him with the palm of their hands. Then Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I bring him out to you, so that you may know I find no fault, no cause for accusation in him. So Jesus came out wearing the thorny crown and the purple cloak, and Pilate said to them, See, behold the man. When the chief priests and the attendants, guards, saw Christ, they cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no fault, no crime in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law he should die because he has claimed and made himself out to be the son of God. So when Pilate heard this, he was more alarmed and awestricken and afraid than before. He went into the judgment hall again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? To what world do you belong? But Jesus did not answer him. So Pilate said to him, Will you not speak even to me? Do you not know? that I have power, authority to release you, and I have power to crucify you. Jesus answered, You would not have any power or authority whatsoever against me, if it were not given you from above. For this reason, the sin and guilt of the one who delivered me over to you is greater Upon this, Pilate wanted to release him. But the Jews kept shrieking, If you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar. Anybody who makes himself out to be a king sets himself up against Caesar. Hearing this, Pilate brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the pavement, the mosaic pavement, the stone platform in Hebrew, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation for the Passover, and it was about the sixth hour, about twelve o'clock noon. He said to the Jews, See, here is your king. But they shouted, Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. Then Pilate delivered him over to them to be crucified. And they took Jesus and led him away. So he went out bearing his own cross to the spot called the place of the skull. In Hebrew, it is called Golgotha. There they crucified him and with him two others, one on either side and Jesus between them. And Pilate also wrote a title on an inscription on a placard and put it on a cross. And the writing was, Jesus the Nazarene. The King of the Jews. And many of the Jews read this title, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Hebrew, in Latin, and in Greek. Then the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the King of the Jews. But he said, I am the King of the Jews. Pilate replied, What I have written, I have written. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts, one share for each soldier, and also a tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top throughout. So they said to one another, Let us not tear it, but let us cast lots to decide whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture. They parted my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things. But by the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. So Jesus, seeing his mother there, and the disciple whom he loved standing near, he said to his mother, Dear woman, see, here is your son. Then he said to the disciple, See, here is your mother. And from that hour the disciple took her into his own keeping, his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, ended in fulfillment of the scripture, I thirst. A vessel full of sour wine was placed there, so they put a sponge soaked in sour wine on a stalk, a reed of hyssop, and held it to his mouth. Then Jesus received the sour wine. He said, it is finished, and he bound his head and gave up his spirit. And, you know, the story goes on. But really what I want to point out here. Two things. One is we see that he is being called the king of the Jews. The soldiers, what possessed the soldiers to call him the king of the Jews? He was silent. He wasn't claiming, he wasn't telling them he was the king of the Jews. He doesn't say anything about being the king until uh, Pilate presses him in a conversation. And it's interesting that Pilate, in verse 4, says, I find no fault in him. In verse 6, Pilate says, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. And then verse 12 uh, It says, upon this, Pilate wanted to release Christ. And then in verse 15, Pilate addresses the high priests again and says, you want to crucify your king? And then Pilate does something interesting. In verse 19, we read that he has a placard, and he puts the name of Jesus on the placard. And it says, Jesus, the Nazarene, king of the Jews in three languages. And the chief priests, they're all beside themselves. They do not want that written on that placard. But Pilate says, what I've written, I've written. So I find it interesting that Pilate somehow was convicted in his heart. You see, truth was standing in front of him when Pilate asked the question, what is truth? Truth stood before Pilate. We know that Melchizedek was Christ, and that is in the book of Genesis. And Melchizedek means king of righteousness, king of peace. So Jesus is called the King of Righteousness and the King of Peace right from the get-go in the beginning chapters of our Bible. And then Pilate somehow either has a revelation or he has a, um, somehow he discerns in his spirit, somehow, that this Jesus is the King and when he asks Jesus, "Are you the king?" Jesus says, "Well, yeah, you you said it." He says, "You say it well. Yes, I am the king of the Jews." And um And so Pilate is convinced that Jesus is the king of the Jews. And so I've actually run out of time, but it's interesting, this whole uh, uh, chapter on Jesus is about the Lamb, is about him as high priest, and is about him as the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And I didn't get to even finish telling you if you go to Revelation chapter 19, 11 through 16, you'll read about him being the king of kings. We are way, way out of time. I just bless you to have an incredible week, um, holy week, and uh, enjoy and celebrate the the death and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is Don Noble of Pure Heart Ministries. You can go to today and listen to this podcast again. And if you would continue to pray for this ministry, and if you'd like to sow a seed, you can go to pureheart, um You can send that to Pure Heart Ministries, P.O. Box 85, P.O. Box 85, Valley Grove, West Virginia, 26060. With that, I look forward to being with you next week. Shalom, shalom, peace be unto you.